Most of us who live up north know the drive from here to Metro Detroit. There are lots of ways to get there, but maybe the most common is I-75. And it's, I mean, <laughs> nothing against I-75 here, but it's kind of boring. It's just freeway. Forever. Last weekend, I made the drive, and this time I saw something interesting. Right before West Branch, I noticed that in the median, where there are usually trees, there were now just big piles of former trees, lumber, little wood cutlets, actually giant wood cutlets. All the trees had been cut down and stacked up. We'll tell you why this week on the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco. We'll also hear about an artist in Leelanau County whose work is changing right along with the climate. Those stories in just a moment. But we begin with another art story entirely. The end of an era and an uncertain future. This week, the group Arts for All of Northern Michigan announced it will close at the end of November. This is an organization that, for nearly 30 years, provided creative spaces for people with disabilities. They also did summer camps for children. But the organization's executive director, Val McCarthy, said after the pandemic, support for the group was down. They had financial trouble, some staffing issues. She even took multiple positions herself to try to keep the organization afloat. This whole landscape of finances, finding the right people, getting volunteers, grant funding cut in half, people aren't as charitable. It, it, it was all a combination of all those factors that finally brought us to the point where we had to make the hard decision. The arts are a huge part of life in northern Michigan, but a lot of arts organizations are faced with similar hard decisions. So, to learn more, we got on the phone with Mary Gillette. Hello. She runs the Northwest Michigan Arts and Culture Network. I I would say we are similar to a regional arts council. And she's watching the bigger picture. Well, you know, it's it's like a tale of two cities, if you will. Um, We have such a rich and robust uh, group of arts organizations and thousands of artists and culture bears all doing amazing work to create this amazing cultural vibrancy up here. That's one world. And so I definitely want to say the good work is going on and it's being done by, by people that are so passionate and committed to what they're doing that they continue to forge on because the tale of the other side is that we live in a region that has uh, our ecosystem that supports arts and culture has honestly been fragile for at least 10 years before the pandemic. We try to squeeze water from a rock in northern Michigan uh, compared to our urban counterparts that we try to do twice as much with half the people and a quarter of the money. Um, And yet they keep doing it. But they're tired and it's been really, really hard. You mentioned people are tired after the pandemic, and I know one of the big problems, which we've reported on at Interlock and Public Radio before, is that arts leaders are stepping down. I think I stopped counting about a month or so ago because this number is higher. But we have lost well over 30 uh, of our senior administrators, uh, senior arts leaders. When I say senior, I'm talking about an executive director and the number two. Maybe it's an associate director or the funder, the fundraising manager, uh, people that have often 
and maybe been in their positions for 10 years. Now, new people have come in. It's not to say that all these uh, positions are wide open, but you do lose institutional knowledge. We talk about this being a fragile environment for the arts in northern Michigan. Certainly that has an impact on folks who work in the arts. Um, But what's at stake for a community like Traverse City, for a region like northern Michigan, when the arts are fragile, when there's concern about the future of the arts community here? There are many people that would say, well, we just have too many. We have too many nonprofits up here. Uh, They should all combine, or we need some to go away, or we have too many arts people. Well, the thing is, is that especially among the organizations, different ones kind of have their own niches, their own special spaces. Arts all had a really special one in that uh, they did all this work, especially with youth, with special needs. And now that's missing. Uh, or it will be after November 30th. The arts, too, I know, have a big economic impact on a community. And, and there are studies that, that look at this. This isn't just people in the arts saying, yes, we're important. There's, there's data. A favorite one I like to, that I like to quote is, for every $1 you invest in the arts, $43 is returned to a community. And because it just ripples through. Somebody, they go to Old Town Playhouse. Uh, they may live in Bel Air, and they're coming into Traverse City. They're probably uh, stopping for dinner. They've got a park. <laughs> they're putting gas in their car. Old Town Playhouse is an example of, it, of a place that uses a lot of volunteers, but you know they still have employees. The technical director, he's paid a salary, and then he in turn goes to Tom's or to Olson's and buys groceries. If I'm living here in northern Michigan and listening to this, and I want to help, what's the best thing I can do? Well, get in touch with the Northwest Michigan Arts and Culture Network, and we'll be glad to uh, be a hub to send you into, you know, connect you with uh, someone else or connect you with us. And we would love to uh, keep that conversation going and certainly take a, we would love to help. Mary, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. That's Mary Gillette, the convener of the Northwest Michigan Arts and Culture Network. And a disclosure, Interlochen Public Radio receives grants from the Michigan Arts and Culture Council. After the break, we'll hear from a poet and a memoirist in Leelanau County who is responding to climate change through her art. Back in a bit. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. The world is seeing a huge push for solar power, including across the Great Lakes. But what happens when those panels die? I had this moment where I realized, holy cow, when we're done with this project, am I going to remove a thousand solar panels from a landfill and go put them underground at a landfill somewhere else? Next time on Points North, the case for solar recycling. That episode of Points North is now available. You can listen to it wherever you're hearing this podcast. 
Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Ed Ronco. Plenty of art here in northern Michigan revolves around nature. And you can see why. We are just surrounded by really pretty things up north. Water, lighthouses, orchards. How many restaurants have pictures or paintings of the dunes? Don't believe me? Look out your window right now. You're probably seeing some trees that are changing colors in a pretty spectacular fashion. As our climate changes, so does our environment in northern Michigan. And that has given birth to something called climate change art. Artists here have been active in the genre for some time now. For our new series, Fresh Coast Creatives, contributor Max Howard spends some time with one person whose work has changed right along with the climate, Anne-Marie Oman. Head in and we'll, okay. we'll talk right. about you know, right. the interior. All right. Daisy. Hey, Daisy. Hey, Daisy. Anne-Marie is a poet and memoirist living in Empire. She's taking me on a tour of her writing studio, a small cabin nestled in the woods, which she calls her think house. Hundreds of books line the walls, almost like insulation for the cabin. Daisy. Daisy. I'm sorry. Daisy. Oh, you're totally fine. Her dog Daisy is tagging along, too. She's a brown and white Springer Spaniel. Daisy. Daisy, stay with us. Anne-Marie grew up on a farm in Oceana County, 90 miles south of Empire. The beams of her think house are from her family's barn. Those are structural. The corners are all structural posts. Hmm. And you can see the difference. It's these old trees that were probably milled somewhere near Oceana County, and that barn built there then being transferred here to Leelanau. It's all part of the microrhizome of my own um, psychological landscape. All of Anne Marie's memoirs are set in rural Oceana County. In my childhood, the presence of trees, the presence of water, the presence of fields, the sense of there's the sense of being part of a great spiral was even with my very, very practical family and my very, you know, they were singular, hardcore farmers. It was the earth, the land gives us, the land takes us. On her writing desk are pictures of grandparents, her mother, and her grandson. A window sits above her desk where she can look into the forest. This window looks out on the this whole thing, this eastern light, this eastern dappled light that comes in in the morning. So very often I will see the you know just the shafts coming down, and it's 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 what good inspiration feels like if you're lucky enough to get it. I know that I know that sounds so cliched and corny, but you know that those lights. When you live in a woods and you watch over two decades of trees changing and losing some and planting some and trying to nurture some and then aware that it's a body unto itself. I mean, there's separate beings in our minds, but they're all interconnected. For Anne-Marie, writing about nature isn't sentimental. It's not the sappy Hallmark greeting card where the landscape is picture perfect. Rather, she feels an obligation to address the real impact of our changing climate. I have this drive to move away now from the really heartfelt and sincere domesticity of living on a piece of land, you know, that that is beautiful, but also I recognize the larger history now. It was, it's, you know, it's land that wasn't ours, and what do we do with that? And also land that has been deeply damaged by the lifestyles that we've had and the way the culture operates. And I'm, I'm part of that. All of us are. 
Simovan Marie Oman's new work directly addresses problems like climate change, including a recent short film called Plague Phase. What's the most beautiful bird in the world? One who would match the sky. But what if we've never seen a blue sky? That's a problem. In Plague Phase, the young actors discuss soon-to-be-extinct species with each other. After each encounter, Anne-Marie and another poet recite verse, like these lines about the indigo bunting. Humans hold funerals for their beloveds, but not for us, not for the lost indigos, not for the sky within sky that will no longer sing. It is your loss, too. If I can create one piece that moves that needle one, clo one iota closer to creating change of consciousness for somebody that eventually accumulates with other people's writing and creates a change of policy eventually, that's something that I would feel a life well lived. <laughs> that's a good soundbite. <laughs> I was hoping for something like that. Anne-Marie Oman's most recent book is a memoir titled As Long As I Know You. Max Howard brought us that story for our new series, Fresh Coast Creatives, supported in part by an award from the Michigan Arts and Culture Council. Head down I-75 to the south, and you'll notice something missing near West Branch. Trees. What used to be miles of trees in the median is now miles of trees stacked up on their sides. Turns out the Michigan Department of Transportation cut them down. MDOT spokesman James Lake says they had a good reason. Safety. That five-mile stretch of road can get especially icy in the winter. We've got a crash history that has resulted from those icy conditions. So trimming these trees, cutting, cutting them completely in, in many cases, is going to help address that concern. But how will cutting down trees help with icy roads? The trees in the median are really shielding the pavement from the sunshine. And that's an issue because in the middle of winter, when we're trying to melt the snow and ice, get a bare pavement condition for the safety of motorists, every degree counts. And uh, that bit of shading is preventing that melting from occurring. So if you're driving on 75 past West Branch this winter, you can maybe have a little more confidence in the roads, but still use caution in bad weather. And now... Bring your sunblock. Let's find out what else is news this week. Michigan courts are expanding the places people can find legal assistance if they can't afford an attorney in civil cases. Unlike criminal cases, defendants in civil trials, which is just when you're being sued for something, do not have a right to a publicly funded attorney. By setting up more self-help centers in libraries and courthouses, other places too, court officials say they hope it will be easier for people to protect their rights. The Michigan Court of Claims has set a speedy schedule to decide whether former President Donald Trump will be allowed to appear on Michigan's primary and general election ballots. The group of voters who brought the case say Trump is not an eligible candidate because he violated the insurrection clause of the U.S. Constitution. Trump says he engaged in constitutionally protected free speech. Final briefs are due to the Court of Claims by October 30th. The court's schedule leaves enough time for appeals ahead of next year's presidential election. 
McLaren Healthcare says it was the target of a ransomware attack that occurred in late August. The cybersecurity breach affected McLaren's 14 Michigan hospitals, including some in northern Michigan. The hackers reportedly gained access to billing systems and electronic medical records. That's according to the Detroit Free Press. McLaren says it will notify those whose information was impacted as soon as possible. Traverse City has approved a contract for a new city manager. The Record Eagle reports that Elizabeth Vogel's deal is worth $175,000 a year. She is currently the administrator and finance director in Misaki County. Vogel was offered the job after the city's first choice. Current Traverse City clerk, Benjamin Marantet, declined the offer. Vogel starts January 2nd. That's it for the Up North Lowdown this week. We had contributions from Michael Livingston, Ellie Katz, Izzy Ross, Keith Brown, and Max Howard, with editing from Peter Payette. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions and Sveinborg Cardib. Our producer is Max Copeland. I'm Ed Ronco. We make this podcast at Interlochen Public Radio. And we leave you this week with a little video game music. Now that is old school. That's like what I remember from when I was a kid. Video game music today sounds so much better. Yeah, that's the stuff right there. Our own Keith Brown hosts a show called Gameplay on Classical IPR, exploring the complex cinematic scores that go into video games now. He's hosting a concert this weekend with the Interlochen Arts Academy Wind Symphony, and one of the things they'll play is the band arrangement of some music from Aliens, Fireteam Elite. The game takes place about 20 years after the original Aliens movie trilogy. And this is part of that Grammy-nominated score by Austin Wintry. You can find Gameplay at GameplayShow.org. It is really fun. It's worth a listen. And hey, thanks for giving us a listen this week. We'll talk to you next time. This week, we'll tour the truly epic original soundtrack to Humankind, a strategy game whose inspiring music features the Slovak National Symphony, a chorus singing words of Sophocles, and traditional music from around the world. I'm Keith Brown. Join me for a look at the music of Humankind, this week on Gameplay. You can stream full episodes of Gameplay on demand and view playlists at GameplayShow.org.